Hey, welcome everybody. This is the State of the CIO, where we talk with America's top IT leaders about the changing role of technology in the C-suite. I'm your host, Dan Kelly. everybody, Dan Kelly here with State of the CIO Podcast. Hope everyone's having a great week. Today, we've got another wonderful guest with us today. His name is Brian Watson. Brian is a principal at the CIO Clarity's Advisors Company. Brian, in a nutshell, is an advisor to CIOs, helping them through all the pitfalls and uh, the windfalls, specifically of the CIO position, as well as a contributing co-author to the Confessions of a Successful CIO. Hey, Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. As we talked prior to me hitting the record button, I don't do anyone justice providing an introduction (laughs) for our guests. So (laughs) I'm going to stop there. And I would love for you to provide a quick overview of your career journey, specifically where you are now and what you like doing. Yeah, sure, Dan. Thank you. And yeah, I know how it goes when you, you know, somebody kind of forces a big bio in front of you and you have to read it. It's no fun. So yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, you know, I, I work with a lot of chief information officers and also some technology companies and a number of different things I think we'll touch on during the conversation. I speak at a lot of events as well, moderate panels of CIOs and other tech leaders. I started out in my career as a journalist, actually, and ended up becoming editor-in-chief at a company called Ziff Davis. Many people may remember, but it has been broken up into a lot of pieces now, but I was editor-in-chief of CIO Insight and really just focused my time on speaking with, getting to know, and really understanding CIOs. And just sort of transitioned out of that and more into sort of consulting and advisory roles with CIOs. And you know, a big part of that, I think, was writing Confessions of a Successful CIO a few years ago with my good friend, Dan Roberts. And I've always tried to look for different ways to help CIOs tell their stories or to tell CIO stories for the benefit of others. There's so much to learn from everyone's experience. And it's not always easy to capture that, or it's not always easy for a CIO or for their teams to really get good exposure, real detailed exposure into what some other companies are doing and how they've succeeded in certain areas. So it's been a lot of fun. I enjoy doing what I do. And have you always wanted to get into the IT field? I mean, from the beginning, or did you just kind of fall into it? No, I kind of fell into it, to be honest. I'm not very technical. I don't have a technical background. Like I said, I started out as a journalist. And, you know, my first professional job in the United States was as an intern at one of the Ziff Davis magazines. And I then went off and did a bunch of other things. I went to grad school at Northwestern for journalism and and launched off into writing for newspapers and stuff. So I've covered everything from politics to crime, and sometimes they're the same. But (laughs) I found my way back into technology, into business technology, when actually my old editor from Ziff Davis called me and brought me back. Yeah. I feel people can use journalism as a launching pad into just about anything. You know, some of the best investigators I've ever worked with were former journalists, specifically investigative reporters. Yep, exactly right. Yeah. There's a lot of some interesting skill sets that translate nicely into some very nice niche areas. And I think a lot of journalists will go on to work in like PR and marketing, but they're better suited actually for other things. Yeah. It's not easy to take them a step out. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. You know, I obviously want to get into your depth and experience within the IT profession, but what motivated you and your friend to write that book? I mean, I know in your introduction, you just explained, you know, it's hard to sometimes summarize all your learnings, you know, throughout your career. But I'd be curious, were you seeing trends, patterns from one industry to the next, specifically in the CIO role? Maybe could you talk about that a little bit, Brian? Yeah, sure. I think it's interesting because they're probably much more apparent today with everything we've we've been through. 
obviously with the just pace of innovation and speed of the past few years in the technology world. But Dan and I wrote Confessions with the thought that, you know, there's a couple of things. One is there's some really great stories out there of CIOs who literally have saved their company. Uh-huh. You know, they've done some pretty major things. And we may have heard about a little bit of them. You know, you may have seen something featured in a magazine or some blog post, but you didn't really get into the depth of what happened. How did that CIO find themselves in a bet the farm situation, as Dan likes to say? And at the same time, you know, answer the call when they needed to step up when their company was either in trouble or on the verge of a great opportunity and to really get into it with some depth. So it kind of comes back to like my journalistic background. Dan is a phenomenal advisor and consultant and CIO whisperer who's incredibly well known probably to everyone in your audience. And, you know, we just really wanted to do something together and do something in a different sort of way. So our book isn't just about sort of prevailing trends in IT. It was stories of CIOs. So it's nine chapters about nine different CIOs. You can kind of pick the book up wherever you want and start reading it. But they're all sort of the inside story of these major events that went on, major sort of transformational events that they helped lead. So we just didn't really see anything like it. And we also didn't want to kind of predict the future and tell everybody this is what it's supposed to be. Like, this is how you're supposed to be a CIO. We don't think that there's necessarily a playbook for it. So sharing a breadth of different experiences from different industries and different problems that needed to be solved or calls that needed to be answered, we thought provided, you know, just something different, something that both CIOs and their teams and the people who work with them in their ecosystem can all learn from. That's really, really insightful. And I'm wondering, based on our current COVID-19 pandemic, when did you finish that book? That book is from 2015. 2015, yeah. Yeah, so it's been a few years. It'd be interesting if you write a new edition post-2020, huh? (laughs) Yeah, well, stay tuned for that. We're working on a few things right now. And um, yeah, it is. It actually is interesting because there's so many great stories that could have been told if we just want to talk about digital transformation and a lot of the progressions that so many companies have made and then COVID hit. And it's a totally different ballgame. So that's actually been kind of the delay in a new product, let's say, for us to publish sort of in the same vein as Confessions. But we're working on something. Yeah, I imagine you are. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we can talk about the current situation because obviously it's on everyone's mind every single day, not only business environment, but personal as well. Yeah. You know, we are big fans of developing roadmaps, right? Mm -hmm. And focusing on the future. If you don't have a plan, you plan to fail, all that good stuff, right? Yeah. What are you seeing changing in the environment right now based on there obviously was a need for a knee-jerk reaction for CIOs, IT leadership teams to enable a remote workforce. Right. For all intents and purposes, I think that's a little bit behind us now since this is being recorded first quarter of 2021. And so where do you see CIO leadership focused on now? Yeah, it was great because, Dan, I did a whole series of CIO panel discussion for virtual events in the fall. And a lot of what we were talking about was, okay, let's stop talking about how we converted to work from home. Let's talk about the lessons that we've learned. What are the things that are going to endure? Even after vaccines and we all go back to the workplace or not, you know, but what are the things that we've really taken away? And so many of the CIOs said, you know, 2021 is going to be very similar to 2020 for us. And a lot of that is because of just the lessons that we've learned and sort of the examples that we've set that we know we can keep pushing forward on a lot of these things. So a few examples. I mean, I think one really is sort of realizing the art of the possible. And that is kind of realizing that it's kind of new, right? There's been all sorts of new breakthroughs. CIOs learned a lot of interesting things about their organizations, about their capacities, about their productivity. Speed obviously is important. I had, you know, so many CIOs just telling me we got things done in weeks or months that we thought would take years. So, I mean, game changers like different telehealth applications and new digital platforms for insurance brokers or different salespeople who are used to being out there in person but couldn't sell. 
companies have been spinning these things up really quickly and seeing results like instantly. So it's again, that emphasis on speed, you know, we've talked about that for so long. There's so many things that go on in sort of the CIO echo chamber, you know, that it actually takes a while for the reality to hit. And this is one where we've seen what teams can do when they're focused. And that's going to continue to be a game changer. So everybody's kind of focused on that, you know, keeping up that speed to market kind of mentality, obviously accentuating the digital investments. The companies that did really well or did the best through 2020 were the ones that they weren't caught flat-footed. They had already made prior investments that allowed them to switch, not only to switch to work from home, but also to service customers better. So it wasn't just implementing Zoom or Teams or Slack. They had a huge impact, of course, but it's the ones that really understood the power of those digital investments and about some of these evolving and progressive technologies and what they can bring to the table. E-commerce, obviously, is a huge one, especially for retailers or companies that had you know other revenue streams affected. One really cool one I got from Lori Groff, who's the CIO for the industrial division at Stanley Black & Decker. And she was saying that, you know, take a look at our tools business, you know, our sales went through the roof, not only online, but also through the, through the different stores, through the different channels that we sell to. Just wasn't really the case before. But now, what are they doubling down on? E-commerce. So, so you see a few examples of how some of these things can play out. I think the last thing, Dan, that I'll mention is really the power of the ecosystem. And you probably see this in your own work, but not as many CIOs were looking at different emerging technologies or new vendors to bring into the mix this year. They really worked on maximizing their existing relationships. Obviously, there's exceptions to that, of course, but really for the core of getting things done, that's a constant refrain I was hearing from CIOs is really the power of the ecosystem of partners. I think it's also of peers and CIO to CIO connections and sharing knowledge. And we could talk about that as well. But I think this idea of really harnessing your ecosystem for new ideas, for better ways to integrate technologies and to maximize what you have in your environment already is something that paid off really well for a lot of CIOs last year. And I think is a big focus of their time this year. How do we continue to maximize and strengthen those relationships? I love that last point. And you could probably tell that I'm a huge fan of just developing ecosystems, whether that yeah. be internally or externally with your customers or prospective customers, right? Yeah. And just creating value. And, you know, it's totally makes sense to me. And because you're a listener of the show, Brian, I know you, you shared that with me previously. You hear me poke fun at the term digital transformation quite yeah. a bit because it was the Accenture, McKinsey, PwC, anyone that just to throw out that little sexy term and it can mean anything for them just as a marketing ploy, right? And it has for Very the last true. 10 years, right? Yeah. And so I always poke fun at that because it's just the industry term forever that meant yeah. so many different things. I usually air quote it. I know people can't see me, but I'm doing yeah. it now. <laughs> yeah. But it's one of those things too. I totally agree with you, but you know how a lot of these buzzwords just become sort of like the standard language. Yes. That like if you don't use it, it's almost like people don't understand it. But when you do use it, it is a little bit ambiguous. So I'm totally with you. And I, I don't like to think of it as being digital transformation because then that almost makes it sound a little too technology-based. It's really, it's transformation, it's change. And really, any successful digital transformation is going to be driven by a partnership between business and technology. So yeah. the more that we emphasize the sort of the specific technologies involved and think about it as being led by the technology organization, it doesn't do any justice to anybody or it doesn't help further really what the strategic goals are. 
And developing those ecosystems, right? The other buzzword that I'm a little more behind than I am the digital transformation is what I call omni-channel communication, yeah. right? Yeah. And like, I'm totally behind that idea. And I think any company getting into a some sort of omni-channel approach is a no-brainer. And quite frankly, the table stakes of 2021 now, yeah. based on our current situation. Yeah. Are you seeing any major wins in the industry or any specific industry? And subsequently, are you seeing any common challenges? Because I know... Our audience loves to, quite frankly, listen to thought leaders like yourself and, quite frankly, benchmark themselves and their own progress Mm -hmm. in their own organizations. I'm wondering if you can maybe think of any examples of key wins that people are getting right now and and maybe some key challenges you're seeing across the organization. The challenges I can definitely dig into. That was one of those things that we really talked about. I think the wins, I think there's a lot of examples of them. I think that they're probably pretty spread out. I think it's not as easy to benchmark because we don't know sort of the final outcomes of a lot of the things that have happened. I mean, I think we've seen a lot of companies that have done really well with sort of efficiency and productivity. I think we're starting to see who a lot of the winners are, at least in the tech space. You know, who are becoming the more trusted partners who have made some interesting acquisitions. You mentioned you do some work with Salesforce. Obviously, they've made a, you know, a lot of very interesting moves very recently. But I, I think if you don't mind, some of the concerns I think to me are a little bit more of the fascinating ones because, you know, there are some challenges that endure and there are some things that maybe a lot of organizations didn't think about initially. Cause you know, if you remember back, you know, when this all started almost a year ago, nobody really knew when it would be over. Yep. And we were hearing all kinds of information. And I think a lot of people were thinking, oh, you know, maybe by the summer or maybe we'll be back to work by the fall. And a lot of these issues that we don't have to think about, you know, we'll be okay once we come out of the end of the tunnel. I think, as I mentioned in a lot of those panel conversations and just my other, you know, conversations for business with a lot of CIOs and tech leaders, they were sharing a lot of the same thing. And as this time went along, you know, some of these ones kind of got a little higher on the thermometer. Yeah. One is talent. I mean, this is a perennial challenge for any organization, but I think this one's a little different because, you know, obviously work from home allowed many companies to seek out talent beyond their geographies. I heard some really interesting stories about, you know, some folks who really, really special folks out there that were almost like ungettable. You know, they did well and they want to live on their ranch in Wyoming. And the companies would say, no, you, well, you have to be in New York. You have to be in Silicon Valley. Now, forget it. You know, that goes out the window. But obviously, the flip side to that is it also opens up opportunities for workers to go elsewhere. So, you know, with that, culture was a big concern, I think, right off the bat. I think that's a really, really good point. And I actually think it's actually a supporter of open economy more than anything, because yes, it frees up your employees to go anywhere. However, that should incentivize you as the employer to make the best possible employment situation there is. Absolutely. Right? I almost think it's creating an ecosystem of itself that's extremely healthy. And, you know, for all the remote workers out there, I think this leveled the playing field for them, honestly. I can speak personally just quickly. You know, the audience doesn't care what I think. Let me just share my personal observation. And then I want to get your observation, Brian. But, you know, my team, uh, the 36, 38 people or whatever we have now, it's always been remote. We've never actually been in the same office even once (laughs) since the start of the company. And, you know, there was this concept that clients have to know that you have an office close to them. For a lot of our big, major Fortune 100 clients, you know, you're in Minnesota. Are you in New York? No. Well, okay. You know, what does it matter? None of our team has ever heard that comment out of anyone's mouth for the last two years. And boy, is that refreshing. Yeah. Are you seeing the same, Brian? 
I am. I, I, I mean, some of the work I'm doing right now, I think traditionally would have been on site. You know, you'd be in amongst the team, working with them through a whole bunch of different things. And now, obviously, that's not even possible. So some of the more interesting work that I'm doing on the kind of consulting and advisory side, yeah, it's been 100% remote, but probably wouldn't have been possible. But culturally, I mean, technically, we were always able to do this. But culturally, oh, yeah. in some companies, it pushed them over the edge from some old school thinking, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you had people who've been advocating and evangelizing this for years. And they're kind of looking at everybody saying, look, I told you so. You know, think about all the money we could have saved or think about all the things that we could have gotten done if we had at least made a gradual shift to this. But yeah, it's an excellent point. And I started getting into the culture piece of it. And I think that actually dovetails pretty well with what you said. You want to make this the best employment situation for your people, right? That you have right now. And there's a lot of challenges with that. But at the same time, you know, I was hearing from a lot of, especially larger companies, larger multinational companies that were saying, you know, our corporate culture is really based around the workplace. So if we don't have that, you know, we can survive for a little while. We'll be fine. Not going to worry about it for a few months. But what happens if this is stretched out longer? And what happened? It's stretched out longer. So that's something that I'm hearing. You know, a lot of people are just saying, like, what can we keep doing? What can we do in this remote world to keep rallying our people, to keep motivating our people outside of just financial bonus? What else can we do when it, you can't necessarily have that pat on the back or that town hall where someone gets to stand up and get their, their recognition? It's a challenge. It's something that I'm still hearing to this day, you know, that people are worried about that, you know, the bottom hasn't fallen out yet, but when will, you know, when might our talent just get a little bit crazy or, different generational motivations, you know, I was hearing very early on. And my friend, Eddie Wagner, who's the CEO of Cushman and Wakefield, one of the biggest you know, real estate managers was saying, you know, that a lot of their data was showing that millennials are the ones who want to go back to the office more than anybody, because the majority of them are living with their parents or they're living in a small apartment and they're getting stir crazy and they want to be back in that environment. They want to be learning, right? And they want to be around other people they collaborate with. So, you know, a lot of these trends are going to converge. And I think that that's a challenge. If I get, you know, two other quick ones, you know, one of the other concerns is the workplace itself. What is it going to be, right? I've seen this morning, everybody's kind of posting pictures of Amazon's artist rendering for their Arlington, Virginia buildings. And, you know, it looks cool, but how many people are going to be there when Amazon's one of the companies that said, you know, people can work remote for, I don't, I don't know exactly when they said, but they were one of the early ones that said, you know, plan to work remote for a while. What is the workplace going to be? Is it going to be a place where is everything going to be drastically redesigned? Most likely. There's a lot of new technology that we need to bring in. How do we monitor our employees' health without pushing the envelope and getting into privacy concerns? But really, what's it for? Is it for gathering together for recognition or for rewards or, you know, almost hard to imagine like, you know, agile teams being together the way that they were. So that's something that people are worried about. And then the big one... It's turning into a destination workplace, wouldn't you say, Brian? I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, that term has been around for a while, but I think we finally are really seeing it now. And that's exactly right. I think millennials get a lot of bad press for some good reason on wanting to have this flexibility. But I totally agree with you that that's the workforce that actually wants to come in and collaborate and learn because that's what drives a large majority of that workforce, right? Exactly. And why don't we support that, right? And yeah. instead of having an environment where you have to show up at nine to five because you feel like your boss is watching whether your butt's in the seat or not, yeah, right? Exactly. Because I've worked in those environments mm -hmm. as an employee and as a consultant, quite frankly. Yeah. And as a consultant, we quickly fire that client. As an employee, I wasn't able to do that at the time. But I'll tell you, boy, was that a learning experience. Oh, yeah. The toxic nature that creates. And I hope that COVID has taught all of those toxic managers that they're wrong. That's right. And then you want to talk about people leaving. Those cultures are the first ones where people are going to leave. So I'm sure that they've already experienced that. 
the last thing that popped to mind as far as you know what people were concerned about the most, and it's innovation. I know so much has gotten done. I mean, it, it really is an amazing amount of work and a lot of really interesting breakthroughs on the transformation front that have happened in the last year or so. But I've had probably you know a dozen CIOs say almost the exact same wording to me. So you know how ingrained this is. They just said, you know, the magic happens when you're together. It happens when you're together, when you're in a meeting together and you're bouncing off some ideas and all of a sudden, boom, that one idea comes back. Can that be replicated? Sure, it can. But it just seems like that these CIOs, who are all very like world-class, excellent CIOs, they were all saying you know, pretty much the same thing. There's just something more magical about when you're together and when you're in the places that you're used to, you know, just jumping up and whiteboarding something and getting moving on it. Not to say that that can't happen now just that it's a little harder to replicate and it's a little harder to motivate. So, you know, the longer that people are away, even if one of the destinations for the workplace is for collaborative meetings and for brainstorming and stuff, until we get there, that's still a big concern for CIOs and their teams. I certainly understand why. I can totally relate to that. Yeah, this is really interesting. Very insightful. Do you mind if I ask two of the standard questions now for each of our episodes? Sure. You're probably not prepared for this, and that's a good thing. That's why it's it's authentic. (laughs) I'm not prepared, so fire away. The first question is, we have some of the younger listeners, uh, the beginning of their IT careers, listen to this. We get a lot of feedback, which I appreciate. People, quite frankly, listening and learning, much the same way we describe the millennial kind of generation as your example previously, right? Yeah. You know, if you were talking to yourself at your beginning of your career, and you were going into IT, and this doesn't have to be an IT-specific answer, Brian, but it just could be a leadership answer. You know, what advice would you give yourself? What was the biggest piece of advice maybe you received or you'd tell yourself at the beginning of your career that would help propel you the fastest? I think one that was important to me, and again, sort of outside of IT, was to really set goals, to have some really serious goals, but obviously ones that are tangible and ones that you can kind of measure against. And you can see a pathway or pathways to get there. It's not just like, oh, I want to be the CEO of a company by the time I'm 30. It's not going to happen unless you go appoint yourself and start your own company. So I think if you're going to go and work in an IT organization is to have a really clear idea of what you want to accomplish. And that can change a little bit, right? I mean, I've mentored folks who were diehard, I want to be a CIO. And then once they kind of got into that a little bit more, said, eh, I like being more the CTO track. You know, so things can change a little bit, but I think you want to be as focused and as goal driven as possible. Learn as much as you can about the organization and sort of the pathways through it. Obviously, I think it goes without saying to, you know, understand your business, right? Don't fall into the usual IT trap of just being a technologist who happens to be at a company. You're there to enable the company, so you have to know what it does. So really get in and understand your business. But Dan, I'll say, I mean, I think probably the most important thing is what you mentioned. I mean, listen to this podcast, listen to other podcasts and go through as many professional development exercises as you can. That could mean getting different certifications. If you're going to get certifications, make sure that they're current. The whole world has changed so dramatically in the last few years. So many of these certifications, I don't even think make a lot of sense anymore. But go through as much as you can. Try to learn as much as you can. Last thing I'll say is there's nothing better than a mentor. So if you're able to find somebody who can be a mentor, who is not somebody who's just going to give you all the answers. You know, they're not just going to tell you this is how you're supposed to do things. They're going to help you learn and understand and be curious and seek out your own solutions to things. But someone who can guide you and give you some pointers along the way and who's knowledgeable about your field. I think that's the thing that probably people undervalue the most 
or don't really work hard enough to have a successful relationship with a mentor. I think that that's something that everybody can benefit from. I was just going to say, I think that's good advice for anyone at any stage of your career, quite frankly. Yeah. And the passion for never stop learning, that's what makes real leaders. That's very helpful advice. And even maybe if I could be so bold, because I'm pretty progressive on this, I think the access to mentorship has actually become even easier now based on this remote working environment for everyone. Because I tell you, all it takes is people reaching out via LinkedIn and saying, hey, would you mind giving me some advice? And I'll tell you what, if you do it in a non-salesy way that's authentic, I swear to God, most people will hop on the phone with you for 10 minutes and give you some advice if you just want to ask some questions. It's how I started my first business. Yeah. My mentors, I'm still in very close touch with. And yeah, me too. I would, you know, anytime something good happens to me, I would tell them like, you made this happen. You know, you made this happen for me. I think, yes, your point is absolutely right. And in the technology world, especially, there's so many folks who've been in this field for so long that want to give back. A lot of it is just how their personalities are. A lot of people just feel very fortunate to have been successful and want to just give a few pointers. It's not to say that they're going to be like Tony Robbins or they're going to be some sort of a major motivational force, but there's certainly a ton of people out there that can be learned from and that are willing to do it. And yeah, there's LinkedIn and there's all kinds of different mechanisms to find people in your field and to expand your networks. And it doesn't have to just be a mentor. It's really about networking and building a solid ecosystem, as we were talking about, of peers or other folks in the field that you can continue to learn from and that they most likely can learn from you at some point or another too, to your point about reverse mentoring is something I encourage all my CIO friends to do. So it definitely works in, it works in every direction. Totally agree. Last standard question is tell me your worst boss story. <laughs> so tell me that moment in which you remember that I will never turn into that person or do this <laughs> to any of my employees that helped you shape, quite frankly, your responses to these questions. And that question is here by popular demand of a poll we did last year. It's a really interesting question, Dan. I'm kind of glad I wasn't really prepared for this one. Yeah. <laughs> I have a few. Uh, the one I will say is, and I know this more since I've been sort of in the consulting world and thinking about how important your client relationships are how important it is to really have a relationship that goes beyond just, I'm somebody who does something for you and you pay me. That never feels good when it's just purely transactional. So it needs to be a little deeper than that. And yeah, I, I one experience that's very vivid for me is in a similar type of environment where the boss in this case came out of a meeting with our clients, a very important client, and one that I liked very much, that I had a lot of respect for. And then the boss, once we were out of the meeting, just couldn't stop bad-mouthing them. And I was like, what's wrong? What? Because we're not getting more money out of them right now? Or like, what's the problem? And it was just, no, it was just for some reason, it just felt the need to just say it, you know? Basically, I don't like her. And it's because it was a her, probably, but it was also just the attitude he had. And I just kind of said to myself, if you look at it that way, all of your relationships will be broken and they probably won't last very long. And at the same time, you're also communicating that to your employees. What sort of tone is that setting? So I think it's very important to think about how you're communicating about people and towards people. We think a lot about the kinds of things that we're supposed to say, but we don't think about how we are actually saying it or how we're actually receiving it. Are we really paying attention? Are we really open? You know, when we talk about being able to hear feedback or to be open to people's ideas, how much are we really looking at ourselves and how open we are? We know what we're supposed to say. We know what we're supposed to do. But how much are we really kind of taking stock of ourselves? I think is really important. And I think that was one of the things I took away from that experience many years ago. That's really good insight. The th three methods of communication, right? 
verbal, nonverbal, and paralinguistic. It's essentially how you say it and what isn't said, right? right. And so that's really helpful. Brian, I know we're at the end of our time here. It's yeah. been a great conversation. Two last things. One, if people wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? And two, I know you want to provide a little information on a nonprofit that you support as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Dan. As far as getting in touch with me, I would say uh, LinkedIn is probably the best thing. I'm on there a lot and I'm you know very responsive on there. So definitely look me up on LinkedIn, Brian Watson, CIO Clarity Advisors. And um, yeah, the nonprofit, real quick, Dan, uh, I, again, I appreciate you Let me mention that for a while, I've worked with uh, military veterans who are transitioning from the service and looking for careers. And it's a passion of mine. It's something that, you know, really been interested in doing more of. And a good buddy of mine and I and a great team of volunteers are very soon launching a new nonprofit called Refer Vets. And basically what it is, is an app that's on your smartphone or there's a web version of it as well. And what it does is two things. It allows companies to post jobs that they'd like to hire veterans for. So it's a place where veterans can go. I know there's other job boards they can go to, but they have to sift through a lot of jobs to find something that's sort of applicable for them. This is a place that they can go where they know these companies want us, right? They want veterans. So they can apply for a job and they can also refer their fellow veteran for a job. So somebody that they served with, one of their battle buddies, somebody from their reserve or guard unit that they know, you know, just looking at the job description, looking at where it is, and they can say, hey, I got a really good buddy. He's looking for a job. And right on the app can just refer them in to that job. And then the person can go and apply. So it's a great way. I think it's a sort of an additive way for companies that have an interest in hiring military veterans. And it's a great force multiplier in terms of veterans helping veterans, which is, you know, I've seen it in my own experience is a phenomenal thing when it happens and when it's orchestrated well. And we have, you know, kind of world-class technology for it. So it's really cool and it's free. So most of the time when you're posting jobs to a service, you have to pay. We're offering it for free. So if there's anybody out there who's interested in getting better at what they're doing in terms of recruiting military veterans, I think we can help. So if there's anybody out there who's like to help out military veterans or your companies have initiatives there, feel free to reach out to me over LinkedIn. And our website is refervets.org. I'm sure you'll be getting plenty of people reaching out here, Brian. I know for a fact we have some of the largest companies in the world that listen to this on a regular basis, and they all have targets and a mission to hire veterans as well. Right. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. And we'll be sure to put the link in our show notes as well and publish it via my LinkedIn channel for all the people that handle that stuff for me. <laughs> so Appreciate that, Dan. We'll do it. Thanks again for your time, Brian, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks, Dan. Great conversation. I appreciate you bringing me on. Absolutely. For all those that enjoyed the show today, feel free to hit subscribe and or send me any sort of uh, feedback at dan at thenegotiator.guru. All right, Brian. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's conversation, please share this podcast with one person you think who would enjoy it. For show notes, episodes, and more, please visit thenegotiator.guru. Look forward to hearing from everyone soon. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.